Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning and happy new year. I hope you are... Oh, thank you very much. One person uh, <laughs> reciprocated. I appreciate that, John. No one else loves me. But it's uh, great to be here, and I hope you had a fantastic Christmas. And uh, we are going to be kicking off a brand new series today. The sermon I'm about to preach is not actually the sermon I expected to preach. I wrote a different one before Christmas, and then I woke up on Boxing Day having had a dream that I was preaching on a different passage. So I've gone with that, and we're going to hope it's great. I'm trusting it was God rather than just too much turkey or something like that. But... Um, we're going to look at the story of the parable of the sower, although it's called that, but really it's not about the sower at all. In Mark's gospel, in fact, he's not even called a sower once, he's called a farmer, but no one's calling it the parable of the farmer. Um, but it's a parable all about the state of our hearts, and I think it's a perfect parable to begin this series with, because we're kicking off uh, the first sermon series of our new decade. Uh, it's not going to last the whole decade, don't worry. Uh, the first sermon series called Consuming Fire, and the idea behind the series is this. We think that uh, the Christian life is meant to be vibrant. It's meant to be exciting. Jesus called it life to the full. And yet for many of us, actually, we can end up living a life and a faith that is kind of a little bit tepid, maybe a bit lukewarm, lacking passion. And that happens when we take uh, our eyes off Jesus and we make something other than him the consuming passion, the consuming fire of our life. And so we want to begin this new year and this new decade with a call to all of us to make Jesus the consuming passion, the consuming fire of our lives. And so over these next six weeks or so, we're going to reflect on some of the characteristics we need to develop if we are to cultivate lives and, and a community as a church that is characterized by faith and passion and the fire of his presence. And today I want to begin with a reflection on this parable of the farmer, um, which should really be called the parable of the soils. Because actually, if you read through the passage, you find that um, the, the thing that brings about fruitfulness is not actually whether there's a good sower or a bad sower. There's one sower in the passage, and he's Jesus, and he's always a good sower. And it's not the seed. There's not good seed and bad seed. The thing that brings about growth and fruitfulness is actually the state of the soil, the state of the, the receptivity of the hearts of the people who hear the word of God. And so we're going to go through this little passage in Mark chapter 4 and just ask this question, how is the soil of your heart? At the start of this new year, at the start of this new decade, how is the soil of your heart? How receptive is your heart to the words and promises and challenges of God this year? And I want to lead us in a simple reflection, really. There won't be anything groundbreaking, but it's a chance for each of us just to begin the year by looking at ourselves prayerfully and before God and saying, what is there that I need to bring before him at the outset of this year if I am to live a fruitful life? And Jesus identifies four types of soil, each of which responds differently to the seed. So he starts with the hard soil. And Jesus says this, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Let's stop there for a moment. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think of a path. For me, it's like tarmac or something just permanent. I probably divided it into half of black and half red for you cyclists among us, who, of whom I'm not one. But that's kind of what I imagine when I think of as a path. Actually, that's not what Jesus is thinking about at all. He's not thinking about something concrete and permanent that is just designated for walking. He's thinking for something which, a few slides on, there's a picture of it, is basically like a, a path that has been crushed into the soil of a field. Jesus is thinking about a field that was all mud. 
but part of it has been trampled down to form a path. It wasn't something that was designated or designed as a permanent walking place. This was part of the field, it used to be soft, but has been trodden and trampled down to make it into a path. And Jesus says that as the seed falls on this bit, which used to be soft, is now hardened, actually it can't go into the soil in the way that it used to. It stays there and it's actually vulnerable to the birds of the air coming and plucking it and taking it away. Now, Jesus says some of us, our hearts, are like that. And actually what I love about this parable, unlike many of Jesus' other ones, is he actually takes the time to explain what he's saying, what it all represents. He says many of us are like that. We are like a hard path. I don't know if you came in here today thinking, how do I feel at the beginning of this new year? Probably like a hard path, but, but actually that is what many of our hearts are like at the start of this new season. Perhaps you feel like you have been trampled on. Perhaps you feel like you used to be like this soft, uh, fertile soil, like everyone else around you, just fruitful and everything was flourishing, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your worship life, your, your reading of scripture, just everything was flourishing, you felt fruitful, but then things started to trample you down, whether it's the circumstances of life or particular people, things that they said, things they did towards you, and you find that because of others trampling you down, you have become hardened. Perhaps it's not even been your fault. I was off social media over Christmas, uh, hashtag humble brag, and uh, <laughs> I'm back in social media, and, uh, uh, and it was joyous. And, um, uh, and then I came back, and Friday I logged into Facebook, and I saw all of you having reviewed your decades, <laughs> and uh, just a like, constant stream of people going, here was me 10 years ago, here's me today, and like, amazing achievements, and amazing hair loss, and <laughs> like just incredible, not you guys, of course, but uh, like amazing, and for me it's been the opposite, but uh, for many people it's just like, here are the things that I've done, here are the places I've been, here are the incredible things that have happened, in my life and I'm scrolling through all of them and then just occasionally there was one sentence where someone was just like actually the last decade has been pretty awful I don't want to talk about it let's move on and I scroll down and one person laughing that was you <laughs> no you wouldn't be laughing if that was the case like because actually that's the case for many people like we can assume everyone's had a great decade and here's all the good stuff in my life and I feel like fertile soil and then actually in the midst of these people celebrating great decades there can be someone just being like actually I feel trampled down I feel hard I used to feel like you and I don't now I don't want to talk about it let's move on and it may well be that at the start of this new decade, you feel like you have been crushed by circumstances. And, and if that is the case, I want you to know that Jesus is not necessarily angry with you. Actually, he tells this parable not to make you feel awful about yourself, but to tell you he doesn't want to leave you that way. If you feel hardened by circumstances, by people, by things that have happened or been done to you, Jesus wants to soften your hearts. Because when we become hardened, what can happen is that we stop being receptive to God and what he wants to do in us and through us. And it's like the seed just sits on the surface and it can be easily plucked away by the enemy, by all sorts of things in our life. Here are three traits that I think are often true of people when they get to the stage of being like hardened soil, like hardened path. And to be clear, I haven't got these traits out of a book. I got them out of here because <laughs> I've recognized them in my own life, in my own heart at various times first trait of a hardened soil life I think is cynicism you know sometimes things can crush us and beat us down to the point where we just resemble this hardened path and we get this sort of natural disposition which is hardened which is negative we start to assume the worst about life about people about church about the world whether we have any evidence to back up those assumptions or not 
that's a, a sign that our heart has become hardened. We end up questioning people's motives. We become negative. We become critical. I think this is a key trait of a heart that has been hardened. A second related trait is pessimism. When we start to feel like this, we can end up thinking, well, because everything has been bad up to now, it's definitely going to continue to be bad. And we get locked into this kind of fatalistic expectation that things are going to be the same as they have been in the last season, and it robs us of any hint of joy or faith about the coming season. Which leads, I think, to a third trait of isolation. I don't know if you notice this. I notice this in my own life. When I start to, to feel cynical or pessimistic rather than reaching out for help, I tend to isolate myself. I look around and I think, well, everyone else just feels like they're a flourishing soil with their beautiful 10-year reviews of the decade, and I don't feel like that, and I feel different from people. I feel like a path that used to be soft, but now I feel hardened and isolated, and I cut myself off from those around me. Because when we get hardened, we are tempted towards isolation. Maybe we've been hurt, and so we go into self-preservation mode. We look at others and we think, I don't think I can trust those people. Or maybe they weren't there for me in my difficult time, so I'm just going to go it alone. And we distance ourselves. We fear being vulnerable with people. And maybe we physically distance ourselves from people, or maybe we just do in the way we talk, in our emotions, the things we choose to share and not to share. Maybe we fear rejection from people who are in a flourishing stage of life and we look at them and we think, if you knew how hard I feel right now, maybe you wouldn't accept me, maybe you would judge me, and so we cut ourselves off. The problem with cynicism, pessimism, and isolation is that they become like this vicious cycle, this self-fulfilling prophecy. Because the harder we get in ourselves, the less receptive we are to the word of God, which is the only thing that really has the power to change us, to soften our hearts. The harder we get, the less we are able to receive the good things from God. And the less we are receiving the good things from God, the harder we get. And we don't only feel cynical or pessimistic or isolated from others. It affects our relationship to God as well. Maybe we look at God and we think, where were you in this last season? I'm not sure that you could change my circumstances and we doubt his power. Or maybe, perhaps worse still, we think maybe you could but you won't and so we doubt his goodness. Either way, or sometimes a combination of the two, we end up saying, I'm not sure that I want to walk with you in 2020, God. Where were you in 2019? Where were you before that? I'm not sure I want to follow you anymore. And so we fear making ourselves vulnerable to God. If that is you, the good news is this. Jesus does not call you a hard path because he wants to just condemn you or leave you in that state. He wants you to recognize in that, that in your heart so that you can come to him who is the one who is able to turn your situation around. If you feel like a hardened path, there may be very good reasons why. There may have been awful things done to you or around you that have affected you, but Jesus does not want to leave you that way. He has not given up on you. Think about the parable. How does it start? There is this sower going around, scattering seed everywhere. He doesn't look at the, the ground and go, well, that looks like good soil. I'll put my seed there. I won't waste it on the hardened path. No, the sower scatters everywhere. Why? Because he knows that these bits that used to be part of the field and don't feel like there are anymore can be reincorporated in. They can be made soft and whole again. I don't know if you sang this song at primary school when you were growing up. I'm not going to sing it, but um, uh, we plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the ground. People know that one? Yeah, uh, we're going to sing that as a response song later, and uh, <laughs> we're not, don't worry, Peter. Um, it's, it's kind of a reflection on the parable of the sower. Actually, it's a very bad reflection on it for many, many reasons, but here's just one, uh, which is that actually that's not how they did farming in those days. 
The way we do farming now is we plow the fields and we scatter the good seed on the ground that has been prepared. So we churn up the ground and we look at it and we go, well, that bit looks good. I'll put the seed there. I won't waste it on the bad soil. That's not the way they did it in Jesus' day and it's certainly not the way Jesus operates. Instead, they scattered the seeds and then they plowed up. They scattered the seeds everywhere and then Jesus or the plower, the, the sower, the farmer would go and he would churn up the ground so that ground that had become hard could become soft again and able to take the seed. What's the point? The point is if you feel like soil that has been crushed down, you can imagine that God wouldn't waste his seed on you. He wouldn't waste his word on you. He wouldn't waste his promises or his grace on you. That is a lie. And it's a lie of the enemy who comes and plucks away the seed. You may feel right now like hardened soil, but Jesus, the sower, has not given up on you. He is sowing his seed on you. He is putting his promises into your life. And he desires more than anything else to come and to restore you to fertile soil again. And the way that happens is by surrendering our hearts to him, by allowing him to work. We'll come back to that in the end. But the first type of soil we see is this hard soil. The second is shallow soil. I should have said at the outset of this, uh, I'm a hopeless gardener. So <laughs> this is a bad passage for me to be preaching on because I am useless at gardening. Uh, I have tried, actually, in the estate where we live, we've got this... Um, this kind of shared garden area, and we were given a bit of a plot which we share with our next-door neighbours where I thought it would be fun to kind of grow vegetables with my daughter. And to be fair, last year, smashed it on tomatoes and radishes. Uh, so I found my level, and it's very, very, very simplistic. But the year before, first time I'd ever grown anything in a garden, uh, I decided to go for celeriac. I don't know why, <laughs> like, uh, I, except that I love celeriac. It's like my, one of my favourite vegetables, which is a bit weird. If you don't know celeriac, it's just this big, ugly vegetable it looks like a shriveled head and I decided to grow eight of those and so I planted them and we watered them and tended them and they were just like they were well, not literally on fire but they were they were just growing like rapidly they looked amazing above the surface there were just leaves coming out and they're these big bulbous things and you could see the bulb coming up over the surface and all eight of them I was like they are just amazing and so I was starting to dream what I was going to cook with these and uh, we watered them and tended them and one day we invited some people around for dinner and I got all the ingredients and planned and I just had to go and pick up the celeriac so I went down and I pulled it up and there was nothing there <laughs> just nothing like this bulb and this beautiful leaves and I had looked at that and thought on the basis of that the whole thing must be like this all eight of them nothing just leaves and just withered roots I don't know what I did oh yeah thank you for feeling my pain I'm not sure what I did I probably went out and bought a celeriac and palmed it off as my own I'm not sure but um but the point is I had made a judgment on the basis of what I could see which was not accurate as to what was under the surface at all and Jesus says that many of us are like that many of us are like shallow soil where the seed comes and it lands and it goes in and it starts to produce something. A bit comes up. Maybe there's just life and fast growth, but actually underneath, there's not enough room for the roots to get deep and so they don't get the water or nutrition they need. And so when the sun comes up, which represents difficult times, and it beats down on it, they just have nowhere to go. There's no depth. And so as a result, they wither and die. I have known too many people like that. I have loved and been in churches with too many people like that. It breaks my heart. I've known people who I have welcomed into faith and probably not done a good enough job with who have seemed amazing on the outside and then something changes and they wither. I've known people who welcomed me into faith and discipled me who are no longer walking with God. People who are better pastors and preachers than I will ever be. People who have been worship leaders who've led passionately or prayed passionate prayers or shared prophetic words that seem absolutely spot on and everyone looks at them and goes, there's leadership in that person and they're no longer walking with God. Why? 
because everything we saw from the stage was everything there was. And we made judgments on the basis of what was on the outside, not realizing there was nothing beneath the surface. It is too easy to mistake charisma and eloquence and leadership skill and passion for genuine spiritual depth. They're not the same thing. And it's easy to make the mistake in the lives of others. It's easy to make it in our own lives as well. Jesus says, don't be like that. Cultivate depth. Richard Foster says, superficiality is the curse of our age. I think he's right. Here are three traits of shallow soil. Again, didn't get these from a book. I got them from my back catalogue. I got them from my own heart. First one, I think, is myopia, short-sightedness. A hint that you are in danger of being shallow soil is if your life, your vision has got so limited that you only think, care, and pray about yourself. That You don't give time in your thoughts and prayer and worship and devotion to the things that matter to God. If you only think about the things that affect you directly, they're in close proximity to you. They affect you now and maybe only in the short term. That means that when circumstances come our way that are challenging, we can't step back. We've lost perspective. We have no idea of what God is truly capable of, the breadth of his ability and his eternal perspective. Myopia causes us to live like this. So when challenging circumstances come, we can't respond to them because we've never put our roots down deep enough. A second trend of shallow soil, I think, is faddishness. It's about having a spiritual life that is characterized by quick growth and excitement and the new thing, the new high. What's going to get me just on fire this year in a quick sort of way? A spiritual life like that, the chops and changes in a faddy kind of way, may feel exciting in the moment. You've kind of got this excitement of novelty, but it doesn't build the roots you need for the long term. Maybe we know people, maybe we are people like this, who like you pick up a book and it's like, this is incredible, this is going to change my life and it's going to change everyone else's life. And so you get two chapters in, you WhatsApp all your friends or you Instagram it and you're like, everyone must read this book and it will change your life like it's changed mine. And everyone's like, wow, they've got to change life. They're so spiritual, I must read that. And what they don't know is you get one more chapter in and you're like, that's a bit boring, I'll throw it away and look for something different. People are like that all the time. And to the outside, people are like, wow, this guy is really going for it with God. I've got to read that book to be like them. And what you don't know is that that person, their growth is only soil deep. Because there are certain things that you only learn by patience, by growing in solitude and not boasting about it and, and practicing things over decades with God through good seasons and difficult seasons. Faddishness will not get you a spiritual life that will weather the sunny, the bright, the dazzling, the hot seasons. A third trait of shallow soil is avoidance. Avoiding the difficult bits of life, refusing to engage deeply with the things that are challenging. All of us love a Christian life that feels vibrant and exciting, where every prayer seems to be answered and we seem to get blessed left, right and center and we pick up the Bible and whatever passage we're reading, it just speaks directly to us. We love those times. And then we hit Leviticus (laughs) or or, or Chronicles, which we're going to spend the next decade working through line by (laughs) name by name. We're not. But like we hit those times and we're like, oh, not so vibrant, not so exciting. We push it aside. Or reading the Psalms, and we're like, yes, God's my shepherd. Yes, he's my help. And Oh, I don't like that one. And it's like dashing kids' heads on a rock, and you're like, oh, I wince a little bit at that particular passage. And rather than engaging with it, we avoid it. And we push it to one side, and we don't bring it to God. And if we live like that, shallowly, we avoid the bits of our faith that are challenging. And we never learn how deep and complex God really is, and our roots never go deep enough so that we get answers to get us through the difficult times. We never learn those powerful arts of patience, of trust in the dark, 
in the difficulty of lament, of bringing your questions and doubts before God and wrestling with them openly and honestly. And that feels fine in the seasons where everything is good, but in the seasons where you've got nothing else to cling on to, if you've not developed roots that go deep enough into the depths of God, you will not weather those seasons. In his brilliant book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg writes this, For much of our lives, we live in the shallows. Then something happens, a crisis, a birth, a death, and we get a glimpse of tremendous depth. A person should be deep because life itself is deep. A deep soul has the capacity to understand and empathize deeply with other people, not just himself. A deep soul notices and questions and doesn't just go through the motions. A deep soul lives in conscious awareness of eternity, not simply today. It notices and observes and reflects in surprising ways. So we talk about a person of hidden depths. A soul especially has depth when it is connected to God. His eternal existence, omniscience, and love are beyond all measure. If you recognize in yourself some of the traits of shallow soil, myopia, faddishness, avoidance, the answer is not just to be like, well, what can I get that will just be some little product that will help me get out of this shallowness as quickly as possible? That only plays into the problem. The answer to your lack of depth is to connect to the one who has all depths, deep calls to deep the psalmist says. The depths of God call to the depths of us and call us to trust him and walk into the depths with him. My challenge to you, if you identify something of that shallowness in your life, that superficiality this year, the answer is not to look for something new that will sort your problem. It's to go to Jesus, to say, I want to connect the deeps of my being, the depths of my being to the depths of your being, and I will trust you and I will go wherever you will take me this year. Even if it means walking through the valley of the shadow of the de death, as it were, I want to walk there with you, knowing that you are uniquely able to help me navigate that. The first type of soil is hard soil. The second, shallow soil. The third is cluttered soil. Jesus says, like seeds sown among thorns, some hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The third, third type of soil is cluttered soil. It's soil where when the seed goes in and takes root, there's already stuff occupying the space. There's stuff that's there, possessions and busyness and things that choke out the seed. So the seed may start to grow, but quickly the other stuff crushes it. It's competing for space, it gets choked. I suspect this is a big one for many of us because we live in a city and an age where our culture tells us, have a full life. And actually, fullness means busyness, and it means owning things and possessions, and that is a mark of pride. That's a mark of honor. So we're encouraged to have full lives. But Jesus says, don't mistake fullness for fruitfulness. They're not the same. You can have a life that is full of stuff, but it's actually full of stuff that is going to choke the word of God and his promises in your life. Here are three traits of cluttered soil. Again, I discovered them here in my own life. They are things I battle against. The first is busyness. We live in a busy city and it's right to be committing to things and to be working hard and to be going after everything God has given us to do. But we can so often find the soil of our hearts full of busyness, whether it's work commitments or study or things we have to do, social life, various different things, that actually it squeezes out space for God. Maybe the things that make you busy are actually spiritual things, God-related things. And the irony is that many of us can just get so into the God-related things, church, connect, group, serving, all of which are good, please keep doing them. But like <laughs> we get into those things and we do God-related things in a way that actually squeezes out God. 
And so we end up buying into the lie that what really matters to God is what we do for him, not spending time with him. That's cluttered soil. And that thorn will choke you. And that thorn looks like spirituality, and it isn't. Do not allow busyness to choke out your connection with God himself. The first trait of a cluttered life is busyness. The second is worry. I mean, all of us worry. And there are many reasons to worry. We live in a challenging environment, in an expensive city. It's natural in one sense that we will worry. And when Jesus says, don't worry, he's not saying, just kick back and don't think about anything. Just have a sort of laissez-faire attitude to life. Actually, there is plenty in Scripture that says you should take responsibility and you should plan and you should save and you should be wise and you should be prudent. But I think the kind of worry that Jesus is warning us against here, the kind of worry that chokes faith, is the sort of worry that leads to fear that if I don't have that, everything will go wrong. So I'm going to pursue that more than I pursue God. And of course, none of us would articulate that. I doubt any of you started 2020 thinking, I just need more money, otherwise everything will go wrong. So my New Year's resolution is to pursue money more than God. Like, if that is your resolution, you're doing it all wrong. But like, that is not a good start to the year. And yet many of us can do that subtly in our hearts when we allow the worries of life to overtake us. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not worry about what you eat or what you wear. And his reason for saying that is not because Jesus says those things don't matter. It's actually because he says, of course they matter. And God knows they matter. So don't worry about them because he's your loving heavenly father. Of course he's going to provide for you. He says, look at the birds of the air. God feeds every one of them. Look at the lilies of the field. God clothes them beautifully. And you mean more to God than a pigeon or a plant. He loves you. You are made in his image. He gave his life for you. You can trust him. The kind of worry that chokes us is the worry of this age that causes us to doubt God's goodness or his ability or his willingness to provide. Which leads to a third trait, preoccupation. Getting focused on things other than God. Making them the primary pursuit of your life. Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, which is pretty broad. <laughs> Deceitfulness of wealth or the desires of what well, is anything else <laughs> other than God. What Jesus is saying is if our desires, if our, uh, the order of our desires is out of place, if we put as the thing we pursue anything other than the one who is able to provide everything we truly most deeply need, then we will end up choking our faith. The reason wealth is deceitful is not because money is bad. Scripture is clear about that. There's plenty to say that is good and, and, and challenging about money. The reason wealth can be deceitful is because sometimes it whispers to us, if you have me, you don't need him. And wealth is not the only thing that does that. Hence, Jesus says, desires of anything else. Status, sex, relationships, power, security, possessions, all of these things can whisper to us, if you have me, you don't need him. And that will choke your faith. Resist worry with everything you have. Cluttered soil is a heart that allows busyness, possessions, and desires to choke out genuine faith with God, faith in God. And the irony is that soil like that can look full of commitment and full of things, but it can often be the most unfruitful soil of all. Jesus says, resist it. Don't let your soul get cluttered. In the busyness and the many things that you should be giving your time to in this new year, good things. Don't allow good things to become God things. Don't allow even God-related things to squeeze out God himself. It will crush and choke your faith. And if you recognize at the start of this new year some of the traits of a cluttered soul, maybe there are things you need to do to reorient your life, to make him your primary passion again. 
Maybe it is learning to replace busyness with healthy rhythms of rest and Sabbath. Maybe it's replacing the pursuit of wealth with the practice of generosity. Maybe it's replacing desire for things that will never satisfy with worship of the one who truly will. Reorder your heart this year so that you can become the fourth type of soil, good soil. Jesus says, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. If we want to pres- experience fruitfulness in our lives, if we want to be receptive to all that God has for us, promises he has for us as individuals and as a community, we need to allow him to exchange hardness, shallowness, and clutter for softness, depth, and spaciousness. In Luke's account of this, Jesus says that good soil are those people who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus promises that if you want to be fruitful, you need to be honest with God, pure of heart, receiving, hearing, and retaining his word, and persevering patiently in your trust of him. And he says the promise is that if you do that, you will have a yield that is 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. The promise of God feels like that. It creates so much. As I've told you, I am a hopeless gardener, so I don't know this from my own uh, study, but actually scholars say that those kind of yields were just impossible to get in the ancient world. A a sown seed would produce maximum of 15 times the yield of of what the original seed was. Five was kind of an average yield. Uh, Ten times was a good yield. Fifteen was the maximum. No one was seeing yields of 30, 60, or 100-fold, which means this. The kind of fruitfulness that God promises is way greater than you could ever achieve by your greatest efforts. You will never come close, not even close, to what God can do in your life through your own efforts. Busyness, shallowness, just doing more, 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 making other things your priority will never create yields as miraculous as what God can do in your life. And the thing is that sometimes the yields, the things God does in us, don't look like what we imagined. When we go back 10 years and think, oh, what am I going to look like in 2020? Maybe we had a picture of things we would own, places we would live, ways we would look, or whatever it happens to be, who we would be with. And maybe the yields that God promises look different from how we measure it, but it is 30, 60, or 100-fold. It's way greater than you could ever get. The only way you will get true fruitfulness is by making him the consuming passion of your life. I don't know what challenges you face at the start of this new decade. I imagine there are hundreds of different challenges across this room. Some of them are known to each of us. Some of them are known only to us and to God. Maybe some of us, we're not even aware what's truly going on in our heart, but God knows. And I want to encourage you at the start of this new year, at the start of this new decade, the way you are going to experience fruitfulness is not by harder work or greater effort. It's by surrendering to the one who can make your heart soft, spacious, uncluttered, and deep. Jesus is the one who can turn our situations around. And I hope that this sermon series will be really helpful. Some of the weeks will be very practical. It will give you stuff to do, but more than stuff to do, it's who we focus on. That's the important thing. It's Jesus being our consuming passion. And I want to suggest just one practical thing you may want to do this week. It'll take you five minutes. I found this a really helpful practice that I've started every year with for the last few years. We did it as a church last year, actually, and many people found it very helpful. We've created a spiritual survey, which is a way of helping you just to take stock of what is going on in your heart. Where are your strengths and weaknesses? What have you been growing in? Where would you like to see growth? And then prayerfully just asking God, where should I be focusing this year to be able to cultivate good soil? 
we've created it as a survey, but it's an anonymous survey, so we're not just going to keep you accountable and say, hey, you said you were going to have a quiet time every three, you know, three times a week, and you haven't done it. You know, that's not what this is about. It's about you being able to reflect personally. Actually, it helps us to know what we are longing for and dreaming for as a church because it shapes the thing that we teach about and the way we grow together as a community. But this is really for you to do with God. Maybe set aside five minutes this week. Go to ChristChurchLondon.org forward slash survey. Fill in the survey and do it prayerfully. Don't just treat it like a tick box exercise. I mean, it literally is a tick box <laughs> exercise, but like, don't treat it like that. Prayerfully ask God, what are the themes that you are going to bring up in my life and how do I need to cultivate good habits and rhythms and practices in order to see that fruit this year? Use that as your way to set goals for this coming season, this coming decade. Maybe the band could come back up. Can I have the next slide up? Uh, this is Ray Romano, uh, who was the star of the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond. How many people have seen that show? Okay, so not everybody loves Raymond, is what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. uh, but some of us know Raymond, at least. <laughs> We're vaguely acquainted with Raymond, which is not a catchy title for a show. But it was one of the most um, popular uh, and successful TV series of, of the time. It ran for nine seasons, and by the end of it, Ray had become the highest paid actor per episode of any TV series to that point. It's been superseded now, but uh, at least at the end of nine seasons, that was the case. And at the end of the final episode, they filmed it in front of a studio audience. They, they stopped and they took a bow, and then he came forward and he told a bit of his story over the last nine years of how he had got to that point and the changes it had brought about in his life. And he said that the one thing that had really helped him through this season, which had been a season of up and down. He'd started out really struggling. He was living in his parents' basement until the age of 29, really struggling to make it as a stand-up comedian, moved to New York to start this, uh, this show. And he said the thing that had helped him most through all the ups of new fame and new fortune and the downs of all the challenges, the thing that had kept him grounded was a little bit of paper that had been put into his luggage by his brother his brother Richard, and he took it out and he read it through tears before the studio audience. And it said this, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does it gain a man if he gets everything and yet loses the one thing that really matters, his own soul? Those were not the words of Raymond's brother. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, the master sower, who knows how to cultivate a fruitful life more than anyone else. If your heart is hard, shallow, or cluttered, he's the one that can make it soft, deep, and spacious. He's the one who can change your life. Don't lose your soul this year. Allow him by his Holy Spirit to fill you again with the fire of his presence. Make him your consuming passion, your consuming fire. He is the one who can bring fruit you can only ever dream of. In a moment, I'm going to invite us to pray and to ask his Holy Spirit to start that work in us. But it may be that you're here and you're, you're someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you have big questions about him. Maybe you're not sure what you think. Maybe you are sure what you think and you don't believe in him. But can I encourage you at the start of this year, raise some big questions about Jesus. Consider what is it that makes all these people here and many millions across the world think he is worthy of following to get life to the full. And if the Alpha course will be a helpful way for you to do that, we'd love for you to join us, January 29th. Uh, I'll be there every week. I hope that doesn't put you off, but it will be a great, great evening nonetheless and, and a great place to explore questions of faith. But you don't actually have to wait till then. If you know you want to begin this year on a good footing of following Jesus, you can do that in a moment. 
I'm going to lead us all in a prayer in a moment. I'm going to invite any of us who would like to, to pray that prayer. And if you want to begin following Jesus, then you can pray that along with us. Use that as your yes to him and then speak to someone at the end, maybe a member of the prayer team or maybe me. We can answer some of your questions and talk and pray further. I wonder if you'll stand. I want to give you just 30 seconds or so just to prayerfully reflect on how the soil of your heart is at the start of this new year. This is not a condemning exercise, but an opportunity just to be honest before God and in his presence, and then to bring the heart, the the soil of your heart before him and to ask him to work, to soften you. Just take a few moments to reflect personally, and then we'll pray together. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, the master sower, at the start of this new year, I surrender to you and ask that you would churn up the soil of my heart and make me fruitful. Where my heart has become hard, shallow, or cluttered, would you instead make it soft, deep, and spacious? By your Holy Spirit, would you help me to replace cynicism with faith? Pessimism with hope, isolation with community, myopia with an eternal perspective, faddishness with perseverance, avoidance with engagement, busyness with rest, worry with trust, and preoccupation with worship. Would you be my consuming fire now and forever? Amen.